this sermon, It's Happening, was preached by Tim Lambros on Sunday, November 7th, 2021 at Sovereign Grace Church. This is our third. If you're new to the book of Acts, after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the book of Acts is that bridge, that, that, that book that tells us all about what happened as God's plan continued and churches got established and what a valuable book uh, it is. Um, but let's stand and let's read verses 1 through 13 together as these words will be the most important words today. Chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together as they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arab, uh, Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. Please take your seats while I pray. Lord, thank you for the living and active word. Thank you, Lord, that because of the miracle of your word, we can go back and take in the profundity and, 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 and the magnitude of this event titled Pentecost. But Lord, for those of us on this side of the cross, those of us that have read this story many times, guard our hearts from being overly familiar. Lord, soften our hearts for what you have for us today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope you were here last Sunday. It was a great day. I had been looking forward to that and uh, borrowing from the food parallel again. You know, we get to do this every Sunday, but, you know, let's face it. Some Sundays are like, you know, hot dogs and mac and cheese and some steaks it's like some Sundays it's like a steak dinner um, not every Sunday is the same but I don't know about you but when David the church planter from Bolivia started to share about what's going on down there I was moved to tears and very quickly I was moved to uncontrollable tears and I didn't really know why. 
And I thought about that Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, about Wednesday, it kind of hit me. I think what impacted me in hearing from David is that there's a great joy just knowing we're part of something much bigger than what we do each and every Sunday. There was just a profound, I think, spirit-led joy to go, our little church is helping to spread the gospel in a country 4,000 miles away. Your giving, our connection with them relationally, our partnership with Sovereign Grace Churches, we as a group, about 120, as we'll see, like we see in the first couple chapters of Acts, are playing a small part in something that's very big and grand. We're part of something big. I think that's why it moved me to tears to know that it wasn't one person that wrote a check for 40 grand. We've had two people go down there, Brian Trask, Derek. Derek's gone down there twice. We've had friendship with Chris Deloglis, Bolivia Mission Foundation. For De- It just was God putting some things together. We certainly haven't been down there planting a church during COVID like David was. And yet God is advancing his purposes. Profound joy. And the parallel to our passage here is You know, the disciples, and we can lose sight of this so quickly. The disciples for these 10 days, the the word that came to mind is they're very anticipatory. God's going to do something. They have no idea. They're part, they're probably thinking, this is way bigger than what we thought. And I think that if we can get in their shoes, God's going to have something for us today as we just remember that they're coming out of a 10-day period that Christ had ascended, gave them some instructions, and now they were waiting for God to do his next part. Well, again, if you're new to the book of Acts, Luke writes this book to document all that Jesus would be doing through these people after he rose from the dead. So if you remember the, the, the events, God sent his son at just the right time. And Jesus grew up in a normal family, a big family, lived a perfect life, had all the temptations that you and I have, died a very ugly and unjust death. But God rose him up. And for 40 days, for 40 days, Jesus interacted with people. At one time, a group of 500. And then as we read in Acts chapter 1, he had some words for his disciples. Wait, that was probably pretty hard. Wait in Jerusalem. And then he drew drew their attention to John the Baptist's words. Remember John? He said, I baptize you with water, but Jesus will baptize you with the Spirit. He drew his attention to those words in chapter 1. Then the disciples, as they're very good at, ask a slightly dumb question. Okay, great, you're going to restore Israel now. Is it happening? And Jesus ignored that. Then he told them those great words in chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power. That's first a promise before 
this next piece. You will receive power and you will be my witnesses. Today, today, we're going to see what those words meant, at least the beginning of it. So the way I decided to study this is the first section, verses 1 through 4, it's really what God did to them. What did the Spirit of God do to these 120? And then the remaining verses, what did God do through them? And so my first point, very sophisticated here. What did God do to them? Holy Spirit filling. That's what Luke records here in verse 4. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus had promised. So look at our text again. It says, when the day of Pentecost Arrive. So the stage is set. They've been waiting for 10 days. If you're not familiar with Pentecost, Pentecost was one of those annual festivals that about a million Jews would come to Jerusalem. So picture in your mind you know, Thanksgiving, motorhomes, Traeger barbecues are out, lots of people. You look across the street and normally there's like one car in the driveway and there's six out in front of their people. I mean, that's, the, that's what... Jerusalem looks like if it were present day um, uh, for us. And so God has set this stage up, another one of these, at just the right time. These 120, I'm going to call them the ragtag bunch, they are walking past all the fun and festivities. They are walking past all this carnival-like craziness for this annual festival, and they're meeting and obeying the Savior by praying, as we saw last week, and pursuing God's word. They're most likely meeting in the upper room where they did the Last Supper with Jesus. They're very close to the temple grounds. Pentecost means 50, 50 days following the Passover. They probably hadn't put together that Jesus was ascended 40 days after the past, after the death, after his death, but Pentecost was always the 50th day. And because Passover was in the spring, this would typically be like in June. And so it came to be known as the first fruits. People would bring the first fruits of their harvest in. And so it was a happy time, even though there was a lot of chaos in Jerusalem at this point in time with one million people descending upon Jerusalem. You ever been to a U of A tailgate party on a Saturday afternoon or any college tailgate party? Anybody? Nobody? I know Josh has been to WVU. So if you've ever walked around there, I've never had season tickets, but I've been to a couple of those. I mean, it's just massive people and booths and barbecues and food and fun. That's what Jerusalem looked like. Just picture that. Motorhomes, canopies, whatever they did back then to get set up for this festival. And the disciples are walking past all that. I'm sure some family members gave them grief. Why do you got to go there every day? He's gone. Come join us, man. We're barbecuing. Let's see, they wouldn't have done anything pork. We got the steaks on. Lamb, yeah, we got the lamb going. Come on. And they were going to obey Christ, even amidst this big citywide party. And then look what happens in verse 2. Here it begins. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Now listen, 
The disciples were anticipatory. They had no idea what Jesus was going to do. They were just waiting, trusting. But they would have had some theological categories to process what they were experiencing. It wasn't just this blank sheet. When wind comes, all of a sudden, they would have said to themselves, oh, wind. In Ezekiel chapter 1, his first vision begins with a stormy wind. In Ezekiel 37, the wind representing the Holy Spirit comes, and there's a valley of dry bones, and this wind comes, and all of a sudden there's skin and life come on these bones, and army is created. They would have been thinking, 1 Kings, where Elijah is interacting with God, and a mighty wind came and tore the mountains. Job 38.1 says he spoke to God. God came out of a whirlwind. So wind would have been synonymous with the Spirit of God in the Old Testament, and they would have had plenty of exposure to go, this is the presence of God now. And it fills the entire house. Filling being a key word here at the Pentecost event. And it was sudden, and there was noise like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house. Next, it says, And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one. John said they would be baptized by the Spirit and fire. And there's something of a divided tongue landing on each one. I mean, you can see Luke trying to put into words what this experience was. I mean, stretching here, trying to describe what goes on. And yet they all know, Matthew quoted it, Luke quoted it, Jesus quoted it in Acts chapter one. John's words, I baptize you with water, but the spirit will come and baptize you with fire. Fire is another symbol in the Old Testament of God's presence. This would not have got past them. Uh, Moses and the burning bush, way back in the early chapters of, Gen uh, of Exodus. Israel experienced the fiery presence of God and pillar as he guided them for 40 years in the wilderness. And Israel experienced the fiery power of God at Mount Sinai when the law was given to them. So wind and fire would have been God is here in a mighty way. And then verse 4, 3 and 4 says, And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This also would not have been a new phenomenon. Just like Saul in the Old Testament when the Spirit came on him, in the Old Testament, the Spirit would come on you for equipping and for empowerment for a specific reason, for a specific season. It wasn't like the Spirit was poured on all people. That's what's so significant about the tongues of fire resting on their head. Each individual of these 120 experienced the Spirit of God here. But it happened to Saul where when God anointed him to be king, he actually met up with a group that were prophesying with divinely 
inspired, spirit-led utterances that showed up there in, a, in prophesying. But listen, church, th- this group is not uh, getting all enamored with, 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 with a charismatic experience, so, so to speak. Uh, each and every one of this of these 120, my ragtag group that, that it starts off very quietly, very small, uh, somewhat in, in darkness, in, in view of everything that's going on in Jerusalem, that this group would have been saying, it's happening. It's beginning to happen. Something big is about to happen here. That's what would have been going through their mind as they thought about what does wind and what does fire and what does uh, divinely inspired speech mean? It means this. God is here and something big is about to happen. So clearly we read this and we know that God is inaugurating. It's really like an inauguration. We get used to political inaugurations, but this is a redemptive inauguration. God has been busy all throughout the Old Testament claiming a people for himself. God sends his son after 400 years of silence. No word, no prophet, no nothing. And then the prophet comes. And just 10 days ago, he ascended. But he gave him some commands. And now this. They would have been saying, it's happening. This is what he meant by, we will receive power in a few days, he said in Acts chapter 1. So what does it all mean? That's what they ask at the end of this section here. Some said, what does this mean? Others mocked. Let's borrow that question and ask the question, what does all this mean? First, after they realize this is happening, this is going on, God is, is busy here. Um, but I think whether they saw it right away, we can see it now. Uh, it's good to pause and go, you know what? There's 120. There's not a whole lot named here. And there's a reason for that. These 120 are not the heroes in the book of Acts. The first 12 chapters will center on Peter. We're going to hear Peter's first message next week. No pressure, Brett. Um, But Peter's not the hero of the first half of the book, and Paul the hero in the second half of the book. No, God is the hero here because God's plan is continuing through his spirit. It's a Trinitarian redemptive plan. God is active in the Old Testament. God sends his son in the four gospels, and now he ascends, and the spirit continues the work through spirit empowerment. And in this case, they are filled with the Spirit, just like Jesus had promised. God is the hero in the book of Acts. So as we start to see all these amazing things pretty soon, 3,000 people saved from 120 to 3,000. God is the hero. Jesus Christ is now continuing his ministry through the sent Holy Spirit. So when you want to go in and micro-examine what's going on here, guard your heart. That's not the purpose of this section. Paul will talk about a spiritual language in his epistles. He says, I pray in a spiritual language. 
I wish that all would pray in tongues. That's not what's going on here. This is an inaugural event. This is redemptive history. Pentecost, you put a stake in the ground. Something significant is inaugurated here. Don't get bogged down in the details. God is continuing his work by empowering through his spirit. What happened to the disciples? They were filled with the spirit. That's what Luke says. Some crazy things happened, but God shows up. And you know, there's a small spiritual principle here, not the main point, but a small principle here. They kept getting together in this room, 120 of them. They're passing the Walmarts with all the motorhomes in the parking lot, all the family members telling them they're crazy. They kept meeting, praying, pursuing God's word. What's the spiritual principle? Sometimes you just gotta come. Sometimes you just faithfully attend because then God shows up and it's all over. It's amazing. They, for 10 days, did what God called them, Jesus told them to do. Go to Jerusalem and wait. And they met and they prayed. But when God shows up, things happen. And that's what they experienced. (laughs) That's what they experienced. Uh, Part of what we, and you're going to see chapter 1, verses 8, those fingerprints all throughout this. But what Jesus told them was, you will be filled with the Spirit. You will get power from the Spirit. That was the first promise. And then he said, and you will be my witnesses. And that's exactly what we see here. First, they are filled with the Spirit. Now, point two, Spirit-powered sending. They're immediately going to witness. And what a magnificent way they witnessed. Look at verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. There was divinely inspired, as the Spirit gave utterance, languages. That wouldn't have been totally new. Wouldn't have been a brand new category of God's activity But God gathers all these multitudes, and then there's a sound. And now all of a sudden, Luke doesn't give us the details, but they're outside. It's it's almost like another spiritual point here is God gathers people up together for your witnessing. So he fills them, and he sends them, these faithful 120, and now they're outside. Somehow, someway, the people heard the sound, either the sound of the mighty rushing wind or these 120 starting to speak, and whatever it was, now Luke has them outside, and the crowds are hearing them. Oh, God is so good. So it first says, they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language, his own dialect. Think about this. God doesn't do anything in vague generalities, doesn't seem like There's a lot of dialects in the English language. You listen to someone from the Deep South, and I've got to listen very carefully. You listen to someone from the Hampshire, and I've got to listen very carefully. I went to a Midwestern place one time in college, and the way I talked, which of course is normal, they they thought I was talking. And these people are hearing them in their own dialect. 
This is the miracle that amazed and astonished them, as they say in the text. But here's what's going on. Here's where we get to have a a little bit of fun. What's your favorite event that where you just like watching the faces of people? I mean, when there's a surprise party, like I'm the one that wants to do the videotape, man. I want to capture this. It's just precious, right? When your kids are at the fireworks, sometimes it's more fun to watch their faces than the fireworks, in my opinion. Uh, I don't know what yours is. My favorite, all-time favorite, is weddings. The whole crowd is looking back at the bride, and I'm watching the groom. I love that face of the groom seeing his bride walk. That's just precious to me. Uh, that's what's happening here. Luke's trying to record the response, the faces of these people that heard a sound, and then they draw near, you know, first a couple, hey, well, what is that? Hey, hold on, can we, can we, you know, and then a few more, then a few more, and then a few hundred. And look at this list. There's about 15 different people groups here. Verse 7, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native tongue, any language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and Ah, is this Luke's way to point us to Acts 28? And visitors from Rome, which is where Paul would end in Acts 28. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. First they're bewildered, then they're astonished, and then they're amazed. And listen, they're not talking about the latest sports victory. The speaking in other language is not trashing Rome and talking politics. What does our text say at the end of verse 11? We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. They were witnesses to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. They are preaching the mighty works of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ in at least 15 different languages. God shows up, fills them, and now there's this spirit-empowered sending out. That, to me, is amazing. That, to me, is God saying, let's go. We're entering into a new redemptive era. It's not going to be about a temple. It's not going to be about a geopolitical group. Now the tongues of fire on every head symbolizing for each individual now, this will go out. Churches will be built. God is in a new era. Jesus talked about a new and better covenant. The 120 went from quietly meeting. It's kind of dark. We don't know. We're scared. I don't know if you were, I'd be like, man, what's going to happen here? Is this going to hurt us or something? You know, it's a little bit dark, it's quiet, and it's small. And all of a sudden, it's loud. The light of what Jesus told them makes sense now, and it's expansive. 3,000 people are going to get saved in just 
a little bit farther on this first day. That is what's going on after they are filled with the Holy Spirit and sent out. Jesus shows up, and now all of a sudden, the words and the adjectives change. Now it's loud, a loud sound. It's not private anymore, 120. We are out in public talking to all these people that God has brought together, and, it's, it's, and it is expanding. What Jesus said in Acts 1 about power and about witnessing is now making a lot of sense. The light of the Spirit of God shining on those words is making a whole lot of sense to them. I captured what we had from the first message that Derek uh, put forth as our prayer request. And I want to weave that into the end of this message because if you ask the question, what does all this mean? You know, typical reaction here at the end, you'll see all through Acts, uh, really three groups, some hear and believe, some hear and they have some questions, and then, of course, those that mock and are hostile and create trouble. Here we just see two of the groups. Some say, wow, what does this mean? And the other group says, they are filled with wine, they're drunk. Even Peter in his message says, Guys, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. Come on. They're not drunk, you know. Uh, but our takeaways, I think, can be threefold. And I dovetail them with these prayer requests. D- D- Derek put forward one of them that we would have a greater hope for what God can do in this city through our church. And if you really read this passage and your takeaway is God is the missionary, God is moving forward. God's redemptive plan is moving forward. It started with a loud inaugural event, but it continues today through our lives, through our church, through churches just like ours all around the world. In what ways can this passage grow your hope that we can impact this city? In what ways can this passage help you see that, that, yeah, God is still in the business of saving souls and, 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 and filling people with his spirit and proclaiming the mighty works of God. God is still on mission, has to be at least one of our takeaways. Secondly, Derek said, let's pray for a stronger conviction of the privilege, obligation, and implications of being witness, witnesses for Jesus a stronger conviction. I think our takeaway from this passage is this. You and I are swept up, are swept up into God's mission when he saves us, just like these were swept up into this inaugural event. We are called and, 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 and privileged to join into God's activity where we are right now. Oh, we might not have an inaugural event like they had, but we can continue meeting. We can continue crying out for spirit filling. We can continue being spirit-powered people that go out and proclaim the mighty works of God. So second takeaway is we are swept up into the mission when we become Christians. And thirdly, 
Derek said, asked us to pray for a deeper desperation for the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think when you see this passage and realize we are called to be witnesses, but first and foremost, the Spirit gives us power for mission. The power that they received is the power that we get for mission. It's the same Holy Spirit that filled them that fills us for mission. We can be witnesses. You are witnesses, you could say. Sometimes we're a lousy witness. Sometimes we're a good witness. You are God's witness. The difference is, what ways can we be praying to have a deeper desperation for God's presence by his spirit, for God's power by his spirit. The easiest way to say it is that power for them is the same power for us. Hopefully you're more convinced of that when you see what God does here in Acts chapter one. What does it all mean? It's pretty simple when it's all said and done. God did something to this 120 by the Spirit, they were filled. They, they received power from God. And then through them, they started this mission of being witnesses in them and through them. And you can even put a side note there. God even gathered up the people so that we could go and testify of the mighty works of God. But I don't think that's the main point of the message. We can have a greater hope. We can have a stronger conviction. We can have a